0: Snack production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong, and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. If you are in your 50s and working, you have likely spent your fair share of time working in a boys' club. It can be as pervasive as working in a traditional male-dominated industry like defence, mining or agriculture, or it can be more like working in a law firm or in an accounting team, where women are welcome but only to a point. In this episode, I talk to one of the most respected business leaders in Queensland, the President of the Committee for Brisbane, Managing Director 9 Queensland and Northern New South Wales, and Future Women Board Member Kylie Blucher. We explore ways to manage those tricky days when you feel excluded and disadvantaged by a boys' club culture. Those days where you are most likely feeling excluded from the group which has had a few drinks after work, or the boys who go for a run at lunchtime. Carly Blucher, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Podcast. How did you come to lead nine in Queensland?
1: It was uh, a long time ago now, feels and was a long time ago. I came back to Brisbane from Sydney. I was in radio in the early, early parts of my career and came back to Brisbane after the birth of my second child. It's tough having kids. I'm sure the audience will understand having kids in a city, particularly a large city, when you have no family support around you. So that brought me back to Brisbane I sought to do something slightly different, albeit it wasn't revolutionary. I moved from radio to TV. Nine Queensland opened up their arms to me, gave me lots of opportunities in areas that weren't necessarily my core skill set, which was pretty brave, gave me lots of opportunity and allowed me to just take on bigger and, I guess, brighter roles. There was a great CEO from Nine who... I guess took a leap of faith and offered me the job of MD of Queensland Nine in 2010. Been sitting in that chair ever since. And when we say nine, it's not just television anymore. So, how big is your remit? Yeah, so it's, you know, a nine across the country has grown. So, what was a television business is now a multi-platform media company And here in Queensland, we're really lucky that we have a radio asset in 4BC, we have a publishing asset in the Brisbane Times, which largely has, you know, is clearly behind a paywall, a digital publication, but really happy to say that we're about to invest a significant amount of money in that business that is reflective of the growth of the market. So that's going to be a really exciting period for the you know, Sean editor for me as an enabler to ensure that all parts of our business help to build their audience. And then obviously the traditional television business, our BVOD business, which is obviously growing at a rapid pace. And then of course, Domain is sitting there. And I don't think we've really tapped into how we can work best with Domain, but that'll be on my agenda over the next 12, 18 months and when you
0: say that a ceo uh, took a leap of faith in putting you into the top job in queensland how unusual was it back then to promote a woman into a senior business role in brisbane
1: oh in brisbane had not happened so that that's significant and i think it's fair to say i'm not sure it's necessarily true but Back then, Brisbane, the perception, particularly out of Sydney and Melbourne, would have been, you know, we're not quite as progressive. So that decision to put me into that role was, you know, a brave one, I would suggest. Um, Maureen Plasvic was the MD of seven back around the 2000s. So that ceiling had been broken, but certainly from Nine's perspective and from, you know, the, the local market perspective, yeah, it was a really new and exciting opportunity for me.
0: We caught up last week and actually we caught up this week. That's, we caught yeah, up scary. about two days ago. It's, it's um, rolling quickly. And I was we were sitting in a, a bar having a drink with the Premier and it occurred to me at that time that it's never really happened to me before where the leader of the state and the leader of the biggest media company in that state could catch up and both of them, be women. And that sense of, I guess, actually being at the apex of decision making, does that ever occur to
1: you or are you kind of used to it now? I'm now 12, nearly 13 years into this position. So it's probably something that I've become more accustomed to. And I think we're very fortunate in this state that, and Premier Palaszczuk has been particularly open and willing and wanting to have direct dialogue and conversations She wants to understand what is going on out in the marketplace, so that's fantastic. But her predecessors have also welcomed that opportunity to have a conversation with the MD or the CEO of, I guess, larger organisations within the city. For me, being a woman and having never done that before, that was absolutely daunting. But I'm one of those people, Helen, no matter what the challenge is, you just take a bite and you keep chewing. And have been, as I say, with the Premier, she's been probably... We carry a couple of similar battle wounds from our careers on our way through. So there's a little bit of a safety net there that we can share some of those stories and enjoy each other's company, which is also positive, but have really frank conversations. I guess for me, though, I've just seen, having covered politics for so
0: many years, I've just seen the natural exclusion of women at the pointy end. You can get to the room, you can get to the dinner, but when there's a a real discussion to be had, a phone call to be had, it's usually done between a male leader and a male media boss or a male business leader. So it did strike me as a significant shift. But the thing I really wanted to explore with you today, and to be really explicit, to help any woman listening to this who has to still tackle this challenge is how you have navigated those micro-exclusions. It's not overt, it's not meant, it's often completely misunderstood, but nevertheless, if you are a woman in a leadership position or an executive team, you often feel that it is that much harder if most of your colleagues are men. Have you seen
1: a shift in recent years? Has it got easier for you? I think there's definitely been an evolution. And for me, the early parts of my career, I have lots of examples of my first meeting with Kerry Packer, a bloke with me said, oh, you know, he doesn't like women wearing pants. I, of course, was wearing pants. (laughs) So, you know, you're on the back foot. So those sorts of moments stay with you, clearly. That was a long time ago. (laughs) I try and give people the benefit of the doubt. They weren't used to the scenario. Where I sit now is there is no excuse. So you are expected to organise the coffee for the meeting or whatever that situation is. You are almost forced by actions to take a second step. You have to step out of that and use your voice to call it out, which is tough, particularly when you're young. But I guess my approach to that, you know, confrontation or, you know, embarrassing someone is not necessarily a great way of getting the best outcome. Perhaps calling it out after the meeting or perhaps, you know, in a jovial way, you know, oh, well, you know, you make better coffee than me. Why don't you would be an approach that I would suggest going forward. But yeah, it's getting really hard to make excuses given the evolution I've seen over the last, you know, 10 years. That's just unacceptable.
0: One of the key ways I think women are excluded is social environments. So, you know, a classic one is a drink after work. I used to come down from an office in the city in Sydney and the entire street would be filled with men having a drink after work. But mostly the women that I worked with had other obligations after work. So they were scurrying to pick up kids or do dinner or, you know, any number of other responsibilities. It always occurs to you that there's a lot of work being talked about in the drink after work. How have you
1: navigated that? going back 36 years I've been in media, what would happen 20 years ago would have been I would force myself or find compromises, unfortunately at probably my family's expense, to ensure that I would stay in those conversations. I think my leadership style is balance and probably come back to what my style is later, but I have always realised that if I want to progress in my career, whether I'm with a group of women or men, you need to be part of the conversation. So, I've been to enough women's events that happen at breakfast time and I always think, gosh, it's bloody hard for women to get to these events when they've got to get kids out the door. So, I always think we all have to be conscious and the more we're all conscious of inclusive social or business events or discussions, the better the outcome. So, yeah, being mindful of that. Because again, for men, there's plenty of men, particularly now, want to be at home with their kids and family and what that looks like. So going back, you know, one step, what was 20 years ago is not the same as now. Brisbane might be a, le- a little less inclined to do the after work drinks. So I'm maybe a little bit exposed. I also work on top of Mount Coother. So <laughs> my ability to um, head to the city for a drink after work is pretty limited, but that hasn't inhibited my relationships. I find ways to catch up with the important people that I need to connect with.
0: In your organisation now as a leader and a long-time leader, if you found out that the boys are going for a drink or even for regular coffees together,
1: would that surprise you? It would surprise me in my personal situation because I think early in my career, not so much in my career, in this role, I made sure that I did probably do as I said, you kind of ensure that you build the relationships, you build your connection and also build that recognition that oh, she doesn't have to come to every lunch, but we wanted to have her the lunch because all the drink or the event because she's got something meaningful to contribute, it makes sense if you don't have a female voice at the table, you are diminishing the capabilities of your performance, so that I think is evolving and is coming through. There's still dinosaurs out there, make no mistake, but that's to their detriment. You talked before about calling it out and
0: trying to find the way to do that that doesn't humiliate or embarrass. For younger employees who don't have the luxury
1: of being the boss, what advice do you have? All I can offer you is how I've I've never changed who I am and, you know, I don't think I... Present or behave as a really quintessential CEO, MD. I am have maintained, I guess, my sense of self and have, at times, you know, said things that I've walked out of a room and gone, "Oh my goodness, what were you thinking? That is going to be detrimental," and been fearful of the, I guess, the retribution that came. And I've been fortunate that if the business. And the executives are mature, they will actually embrace that. I think you just have to be true to yourself and be authentic because if you play a role and sometimes those roles are placed on you, you're doing yourself a disservice. So you kind of have to just find your voice. But again, going back to what I said, you find the right way of delivering that message. Sometimes you might have to be confrontational because they won't ever hear you, but there's smart ways just to have a conversation or lean into another female leader that I need your support here. I'm not being heard. I need you, if you're in the same room as me, to give me an opportunity to step up. And we all, as female leaders, we all have that responsibility. If there's a younger female or sometimes a younger man who is completely being shut down, let them have their voice. Yeah, absolutely. And I I
0: get the sense from you that you haven't adjusted your approach to this challenge, whether you're a young woman on the way up the ladder of your organisation to today, you're still managing those micro exclusions in precisely the
1: same way. I think so. And I've, I've probably missed opportunities along the way whilst I'm completely satisfied and happy with where I've ended up there's probably been jobs along the way getting back into bigger markets that haven't come my way because of my personal style but I'm really happy with who I am where I stand and when I've sought opportunities that are of interest to me I haven't you know a couple of times it hasn't gone my way but you know you kind of realize that not everything is going to go your way and as long as you're true to yourself happy days.
0: You touched on this a minute ago, but it's one of the most common complaints of women in executive teams. Is it the meeting where you put your hand up and or you speak up and you say, I think the way forward is to do X. You know it's not been heard. Everyone just moves on. Bloke speaks, bloke speaks. And then the third bloke comes along and says exactly what you just said. And he gets a standing ovation for his genius. You would have seen that dozens of times. 100%.
1: Outside of my media responsibilities, I have a couple of board positions and and so different industries. So some industries that probably aren't as mature as the ones I work in day to day are particularly bad at that. And in those environments, I'm there as an independent voice. The only way I've been able to manage it is actually to make sure it comes back to it and when it gets ministered, you can say, as I had said earlier, <laughs> yep. this is, I think, the right way to, to uh, proceed or whatever the situation was. I, I just think you can't let it lie because it will just continue to happen.
0: And the point you made earlier is getting those allies in the room. And you don't always have the luxury of a, another senior female executive in the room. But if you do have one and you do have a good working relationship, they're worth calling on at that time.
1: Uh, 100%. And men, Yes. It's a behaviour that just needs to be called out.
0: I can't remember where I heard this recently, but someone was saying recently to me that uh, they sometimes are in senior meetings where the man who reports to them is invited to speak to the leadership team rather than than you are. Have you ever experienced that?
1: No, I I haven't. I get lots of assumptions that if I'm with a male colleague that that still happens, which is a bit awkward. Of who is actually the leader of the business, less and less obviously, as your profile goes. And again, the benefit for me, Brisbane as a, I guess a smaller market in reality to a Sydney or Melbourne, my profile even went up before I was MD. I was one of the only programming bosses at that stage in this market. So building your personal brand, I think is important, and again, go back to, particularly when I took on this job, establishing those, your name, your brand, ensuring that your profile is in the forefront of those that are important to your business. You've got a responsibility to ensure that's the case so that as those old style assumptions are made, that you you can beat it before it happens. You make sounding what you do sound quite effortless,
0: but it it is a particularly big and difficult role that you... Hold and have held for a number of years. Have you ever gone and sought leadership coaching or executive coaching to help you through some of the more tricky leadership challenges that you might have encountered?
1: Oh, 100%. What I love about future women is the safe environment that you provide in terms of being able to lean in and ask those questions because particularly when there's not a big cohort and there's still a number of sectors that don't have you know, a significant number of female leaders in the business. So you, for me, you had to go outside and seek that additional coaching and mentors along the way have really helped to just guide you. And it, as I said, that safety net of just going, have I got this wrong? Am I misreading this? And I'm one of those people, I'm not suggesting all women are this way, but a number of my mates and colleagues, are. you kind of question yourself first before you go, this situation isn't right or just. So having, you know, whether it's an external coach or a network like a Future Women or just colleagues and mates that you can go, yeah, let me just temperature check this and that just builds your resilience back up. So, yeah, no, I had plenty of battle scars and, you know, part of the reason when I did come back from Sydney I was in a national sales integration role in Sydney, and whilst I was on maternity leave, it maneuvering happened, and you know it was like, do I really want to play that game? And unfortunately fortunately or unfortunately, I opted out. Now, I wouldn't recommend opting out of any. You should fight for what's right, but at that stage, I opted out. Now, history will say that was a the better decision, but at the time it was terrifying two young kids, no family, significant support. It was just, I needed to get home and sort myself out. Wow. I mean, that manoeuvring
0: on maternity leave is just an epidemic, like speaking over, you know, stealing someone's idea in a meeting. I think, we're, I think we've come a long way. For sure. Not that people are completely immune to it. You also touched on the, so the executive coaching, you also touched on mentoring, and I just want to underline that. I, I think that too many female leaders do go it alone or try to go it alone. But building that mentor on that sponsorship network, not only of a formal but also an informal, and as you say, internally and externally, is is it one way to insulate yourself against, you know, a particularly masculine environment.
1: Yeah, look, again, and particularly as you're growing in your career and more responsibility and different environments, challenges, you know, whether you're stepping into a board situation. So in my media career, there's been a couple of mentors, the most significant for me, and this will come as no surprise to you, Helen, is David Gingell. Who is probably one of the blokier blokes that you'll ever (laughs) meet and come across and love and adore him for all of those attributes. Yes. But he recognised my ability, gave me opportunity and even to this day. He's a long time out of our business now. Spoke to him yesterday. We'll check in what's happening, what's going on, you know, and I will lean in and ask questions. And he's stayed very close to the media industry and very clever in terms of future thinking and what that looks like. So, yeah, I I think he has been absolutely one of the most critical mentors I've had in my career. But outside of that, you know, this great woman in Brisbane who sat on a number of boards, arts boards, daughter of a publican, no fear, knew how to run a board meeting, construct a strategy and yet lent in big time to her.
0: David Gingell has refused my offer to do the Future Women Leadership podcast. Kylie, (laughs) so next time you're chatting to him, can you have a word with him about turning up? He says he's too scared.
1: He should be scared. You know he has no filter, so <laughs>
0: um look, we could talk about him for a lot, but I think in a in a podcast where we're talking about a boys' club, I think it's appropriate to to acknowledge that both of us have used him as mentors for many years now and He's the first person to ring you up and tell you stuff something up, and he's the yep. first person to ring you and tell you did a great job. And he's a uh, he's an extraordinary, an extraordinary character. And but
1: he, but he's invested, Helen. That's what you know. Yep. One of the learnings I've had from him, key learnings, has been just invested in every part of a business, yes. and that those touch points. And sometimes you just want to ignore the call. And I want to be that person that my execs or you know my staff don't want to take my call because I'll be annoying them probably but it means you care right
0: yeah i was uh, in a lift with him in acp magazine days when he was put in charge of the whole magazine division so every magazine in the country pretty much uh, including harpers bazaar and all the all the fashion titles uh, he had such natural charisma that he could capture the loyalty and the devotion of an entire group of people just by being in the lift with them, which, yeah. you know, I, I think about a lot when I'm talking about leadership. There are people that are born with natural charisma, but I've interrogated his charisma a lot over the years. And as you say, it's backed up by a genuine caring for humans. He likes people and he likes to see success. And he's a, he's a unique character for sure. Anyway, enough about David Ginjal. What sort of leader are you? Are you a natural, charismatic
1: leader? I'm definitely a people leader. I think that is, I do genuinely care, have empathy, have lots of my own experiences as a fair amount of bark off. So I do find touch points with people. I love content. So in my business, I love working with talent. So I think that part of my personality um, helps me from a leadership perspective. I'm pretty balanced some would say a flat line in some instances, but again, probably over time realise the quick response or the emotional response is not helpful. And you get that over time, that one crisis is a disaster, five crises make you a better manager or better leader. So that in itself, I think, that measured, balanced, you don't want your executive team coming in and finding you in the fetal position, that's never a good sign. But, yeah, just ensuring the critical thinking is being put in by everyone, analysing where we need to be, not today, not tomorrow, but five years. I think, you know, I try and challenge my team to be responsive to where the audience is going. So, yeah, approachability is critical and, again, safe environment. But I think that most of my team would know if there's something wrong, I'll call it out and ask questions as to why and that builds a stronger dynamic in the relationship and a really trusted dynamic. Now I'm pretty happy with my – I've got great executives at nine from a television perspective, women dominate, um, my news director, my sales director, head of publicity, myself, head of current affair.
0: Do you you have any men that work
1: for you? I do. (laughs) I have some great men but, again – the great men complement the great women and vice versa. So, and I've battled probably as you have over the years around the whole notion of quotas and I always believe that best person for a job should have jobs, but there's definitely some sectors that just aren't moving quickly enough and they're limiting the their business potential by not moving forward quickly enough with that because, as we know, control of disposable income, decision-making if you're not having a balanced view, and and again, it's not just men, diversity is going to be critical. In Brisbane, they are predicting that our population growth by 2040 will grow by 43%. Now, they are not going to come from white Australia. It's going to be a migrant and from other cities, around the world who will be driving that, particularly as an Olympic city, that's going to draw big corporates to the market, big opportunities. So, from a business perspective, our diversity needs to grow with a growing market here in Queensland. So, that's going to be a focus for us.
0: I just want to finish up on the final bit of advice you might have around the boys club environment. Has it ever actually backfired on you calling out the boys club?
1: Yeah, probably. I think my experience when I left radio in Sydney, I did call it out. And whilst I got lots of, yes, this is terrible behaviour. Yes, you are important to the business. I got crickets in terms of meaningful response. So for me, it was, ended up being a pretty easy, I'm out. So look, that wasn't great, but as I say, history will say that was okay in the end, but that wasn't a good feeling at the time and when you've got mortgages and all sorts of things going on for any of us, male or female, sometimes you should you probably should pick your time better than what I did at that point in time since I was on maternity leave <laughs> but you know, you probably feel proud of
0: yourself for doing it oh now, absolutely yeah I think if we're trying to give constructive advice to anyone who's tuned in to listen to this, there is an environment now where calling it out is a lot less likely to backfire. You are just as likely if you get the timing and the tone right to be respected for making those micro exclusions or moments, making your leaders more aware of those
1: moments. Yeah, 100%. It's up to the individual to pick how you deliver that message but be thoughtful about how you deliver the message is the way I would approach it. Yeah,
0: timing, your language, and I guess not deliberately humiliating or embarrassing, but being constructive and helpful.
1: 100%. If I said something stupid in a meeting, I would expect the same treatment and response that it should be called out, but do that in a respectful, supportive way that I don't walk away feeling humiliated. So it's a two-way street. And when in doubt, just be funny. Sometimes a bit of humour <laughs> helps. Gets you through most days, I've
0: decided. Well, if you've worked in media for 36 years, I think you probably do a pretty good job of humour.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I hang out with pretty neat people like you and many others, so it's uh, I've been pretty lucky.
0: Carly Bluto, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Helen. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell. And audio imaging by Nat Marshall.